Welcome to the True North Podcast. This podcast is about navigating through today's culture in the direction that lands at the heart of God. Let's go! Everybody said, Amen, Amen. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 in the Passion Translation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How many received something in the worship this morning? Amen. 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 The Lord put on my heart last week. Um, he put in my, my spirit the word harvest. Somebody say harvest. harvest. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, but it was around this time last year we talked about, you know, the seed and tilling the ground and planting the seed and harvest and all that. And it's, and uh, you know, it's not happen circumstance that it's that time of year. And the natural, you know, it's, it's, it's not just, you know, ironic that, you know, we're in that type of season now where farmers are, you know, they're collecting the harvest. And, you know, um, I don't know if you ever drive further out, you can even see, <clears throat> uh, you know, for the farmers that haven't collected the harvest yet, the, the, the harvest is ripe. It's ready for the picking, whether it's whether it's corn or whether it's cotton. It, you know, just on my route, when I the routes I run, I get to see all that and it's beautiful. I love it. But the Lord dropped that word in my spirit, harvest. Um, so, you know, I know I know this is one because of time that we'll definitely continue next Sunday. But um, today I want to talk about harvest. And, you know, first scripture that comes to my mind is Matthew chapter nine in the Passion Translation. We're just going to do verse 37 and 38 and then we'll move on to Matthew chapter 20. I was going to try to do a nice well intro, but um, the Holy Spirit's already set the stage for us. Amen. <clears throat> But uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse, uh, let's do verse 37, if you don't mind. <clears throat> um, Paul, or not Paul, excuse me, Matt, Jesus, Jesus talking. So watch this. He turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is huge and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring all to bring it all in. Verse 38, as you go, plead with the owner of the harvest to thrust out many more reapers to harvest his grain. Somebody say harvest. So I love this because chapter 9 is full of miracles. And, you know, if you ever go back and really research it out, really study it out, it's great. And I encourage you to. We won't get into it for time's sake. But chapter 9, you know, and... Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. Makes me think of that song by Maverick. See, miracles, miracles. I remember when that first came out, I didn't really, I didn't really care for it. And uh, we moved here. Mom's all about it, playing it. Can't, can't get it out of my head. And then one day I'm working, and I'm like, one, two. Ah, there it is. Ah. And then, and then, you know, start going through some things, and I'm like, one, two, three, four, I can't even, I'm like, I got miracles on miracles, I can't even count them all, and I'm like, okay, okay, Lord, I see, I see, I see, it's a good song, it's a good song, you ever have those songs where you gotta, sometimes you gotta re-listen to them, you know, you gotta recheck them out, 
Uh, that's one of those. And I think about that, you know. But in chapter 9, it's full of miracles upon miracles where Jesus is just, I mean, he's doing miracle after miracle and after miracle. And I love this because in verse 37, literally it said that when he saw the vast crowds of people, his heart was deeply moved with compassion. Now, this is the opposite of you and I. If you've ever served in ministry, I remember, Lordy Day, I remember uh, in my college days, um, I, was, I had the opportunity to be able to play on the worship team with Pastor Craig and Jenna and Sam and a few others. And, you know, we, you know, you get there super early, you know, do the work. And anybody that's ever served in ministry, y'all know what it's like. You get done Sunday morning, uh, Sunday morning service, you go out to eat. And when you get home, you just tired. You know, you're tired of, you, you are tired of serving. You're tired of pouring out. So what, what are we going to do? We're going to take a nap. And I remember my college days, I'd take that nap, you know. You know, I, I was running my own agenda. And I remember when me and Kelsey first got married, you know, we didn't have any kids. So come home, you know, after Sunday, after we go out to eat, we come home, take a nap. You know, we're tired. We've worked. We've, we've ministered, you know, miracle, miracle. Hey, you know, here's Jesus in the same boat and in the same situation. He has performed miracle after miracle after miracle. He's been doing ministry. And the Bible says that when he turns and sees the vast crowd, now a vast crowd, it doesn't mean like one or two. It means like a big crowd. He sees, he turns and looks, and the Bible doesn't say that he saw them. It was like, all right, let's go, you know, and lay hands. No, the Bible says that compassion rose within him. And he was eager to minister to the people. It's the opposite of us, and I love this because uh, it, it makes me think of right before we left Florida, you know, I was, I was staring in the sanctuary of the church that we were serving in, and, you know, my flesh had rose up because I'm like, Lord, what are we going to do? You know, like, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm about to leave, and I'm, I'm just be honest, we all have those fleshly days, so you, you can't judge me. If you judge me, judgment on you, all right? But I remember just being in the flesh, and I was just, I mean, I was just, I was just throwing a pity party for Lindsay. You ever throw a pity party for yourself before? Uh, and I'm just sitting there, I'm just like, man, Lord, I'm about to leave Ableton. You know, we used Ableton to run our tracks. I'm about to leave, you know, I started naming different people. You know, I'm about to leave, you know, uh, having Wi-Fi, consistent Wi-Fi. I'm about to leave all the, I'm, I'm naming all the different things, about to leave all these spaces, these kids, da, da, da. And, and I'm like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? You know, what am I supposed to do without a drummer, Lord? What am I supposed to do without Thursday night practice or Tuesday night practice, what we did? Lord, what am I supposed to do, you know, without, you know, five-point harmony and six-point harmony and all these different things, rotating out? I mean, I'm, I'm throwing a pity party for Lindsay. Lord, what am I supposed to do without, you know, song select? What am I supposed to do without, I'm naming, look, Marina, it's so bad, I'm naming the software that I use. Lord, what am I supposed to do without, you know, downloadyouthministry.com and all these different things? And I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And he said, Lindsay, resources don't make a church relevant. Compassion does. He said, resources don't make a church relevant. Compassion does. And Jesus had compassion when he saw these people. In fact, it said that when he saw the vast crowds of people, Jesus' heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless like wandering sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is what makes a church relevant. Compassion is what's going to make this house relevant. Compassion for people. Compassion for people. Somebody say compassion. compassion. Now, parallel to verse 37 is Matthew chapter 20. Uh, the, you know, we'll, we'll start with verse 1. We won't go through. We won't go all the way to verse 16 for time's sake. But um, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, it says this. This will help you understand the way heaven's kingdom operates. Now, this is Jesus talking. Now, this, this disclaimer is very, is very important. 
Jesus gives a disclaimer before he begins to tell this parable. He says, this will help you understand. Somebody say understand. This will help you understand the way heaven's kingdom operates. So now we're about to learn how heaven operates. You know, this is like, this is like the instruction manual for heaven. Jesus is saying, okay, you know, have you ever read an instruction manual before you started to do something? I'll be guilt. I'll be honest. A lot of times I don't do that. I just look at the picture and be like, okay, you know, kind of matches up and then we'll go that way. You know, for my job, they gave me like a, uh, uh, we have to use scanners to scan our letters and packages. And they gave us a big, a thick old book on the scanner. I'm like, I don't need that. <laughs> Somebody says, oh, there's a couple of videos. You, oh, there's videos. Oh, okay. Okay. And you know where that's, you know where that thick book is? It's underneath our bed. I, the other day I saw it. I was like, oh, that's what it is. I moved it aside because I was needing something else. And I just, you know, grabbed it. You know, so I'm not big on that. But Jesus is literally saying, this will help you. So this, he's literally saying, what I'm about to tell you is going to help you understand how the kingdom of heaven operates. And then he says, there once was a wealthy landowner who went out at daybreak to hire all the laborers he could find to work in his vineyard. <clears throat> After agreeing to pay them the standard day's wage, he put them to work. Then at 9 o'clock, he was passing through the town square. He found others standing around without work. Excuse me. He told them, come and work for me in my vineyard, and I'll pay you a fair wage. So off they went to join the others. He did the same thing at noon and again at 3 o'clock, making the same arrangement as he did with the others. Now watch this. Hoping to finish his harvest that day, he went to the town square. We'll stop with this. He went to the town square again at 5 o'clock and found more who were idle. Somebody say idle. So he said to them, why have you been here all day without work? Sorry if you'll go to verse 7. Because no one hired us, they answered. So he said to them, then go and join my crew and work in my vineyard. So if you don't mind going back to verse 6. So there's a, there's a powerful word in there. You said it, the word idle. So I love this because let's point out a few things. Jesus said that this is the way the kingdom of heaven operates. And if God wants to bring his kingdom on heaven, or if God wants to bring his kingdom, of, uh, his kingdom on earth, then this is the way we should operate too. God, God's goal is to bring heaven on earth, to bring heaven down. We've sung it before, you know, you know, heaven, heaven on earth, just like heaven, heaven on earth. That's a great song. That's a throwback. It's a good one. See, walk in favor and graces, just like heaven, just like heaven. See, I, I get excited when I think about that, you know. I have to, you know, dial it back, and we have to get back into the message. But I just know that I'm going to make me a mental note to add that to my, because, yeah, it's, it's good. But God's goal is to bring heaven upon earth. And watch this. If he wants to bring heaven upon earth and he says this is the way the kingdom operates, that that means we should be operating the same way too. All right. And what way is that? It's through compassion, not transaction. It's through compassion, not transaction. Somebody say compassion, compassion. not transaction. Not See, transaction is all about what you do for me. And because of that act of service, then I'll return the favor. You know, transaction is about, you know, well, you do this for me, I'll do this for you. And a lot of times, you know, that's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you, you know, you do a favor to somebody and they pay you back or whatever. But when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, we are called to have compassion, not transactions. We're called to have relationships, not transactionships. 
And a lot of times, too many times, we, we the church, not just this church, but I'm talking about the church as a whole, we have been guilty of transactions with people. We see need in the church, and instead of, you know, our first thought is, okay, well, we need to get somebody to fill this need versus how can we go show compassion to a loving family? I mean, Jesus is Jesus. He saw the vast crowd, and I'm pretty sure he could have been like, you know what, well, you know, we, you know, we, we could use a couple more disciples on this, you know, because these guys ain't around. They, they still a few fries short for a happy meal. You know, we could really, we really need to, some more to even this out. But instead of him seeing them as a transaction, he looked at the crowd with compassion and decided to minister to them. And unfortunately, as the church, we get guilty of, you know, treating people as transactions. Listen, I, I can't wait to have a full worship team. I can't wait to have where we have rotating singers, like rotating teams that way. Miranda and Dre, they can have a Sunday where they're out there just <sighs> press a pre- laid upon the altar, you know. I can't wait for that to happen. I can't wait for us to have drummers, multiple drummers. I can't wait for us to have multiple guitars. I can't wait for us to have a brass section. I'm just casting vision. I want a brass section. I I mean, I want it all. I can't wait for us to have full pews. I can't wait for us to have multiple uh, multiple people running computer. That way, uh, you know, it's not just one or two. I can't wait for us to have multiple people on the serve team, multiple people of kids' church workers. However, yes, those are all things that we need. Anytime somebody comes to the church, I can't immediately say, oh, man, that's, they look, oh, you see them moving their foot? Oh, they're going to be a good drummer. Let's go. I can't treat them as a transaction. I have to look at them in compassion and say, you know what, are they hurting? Do they need anything? Lord, you have brought them here. Why have you brought them here? And what do, and what do you want me to do? That's what Jesus literally did in that moment. He sees the vast crowd. When compassion rose up and he began to minister to them. And Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like this. With eyes of compassion. Somebody say compassion. Compassion. So he looked at the harvest and compassion rose up within him. So like I said, you know, I can't wait to have a, a, full, a full team of musicians, can't wait to have a full church. But at the end of the day, I have to, we have to make sure that we're looking at people through eyes of compassion. When we invite people to church, we're not inviting people to church just so uh, we can have a, a, a big attendance number. But we're inviting people to church so they can experience what we experienced about five minutes ago. So all their burdens can be lifted. So all the diseases and sickness and infirmity in their body can be healed and resolved and deleted. So they can have a new identity in Christ. So their souls can be saved. So they can meet Jesus. So they can encounter Jesus. This is the harvest. Amen. Amen. And Jesus looked at the disciples. He said the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. See, this, the, the story that we read in Matthew 20 when Jesus tells the parable about, you know, the, uh, the, the landowner having all these different, hiring all these different shifts of people. It was through compassion because, see, the, the story would have been about transactions if the landowner only hired one handful of workers and paid them based off their contributions. But instead, the landowner hires workers and then goes out and looks specifically for people that were without work, people that were idle. Somebody say idle. idle. Now, I love this. I love this because he, he was good. What the scripture was saying was the landowner, technically, he could have been he could have been fine. But instead, with compassion, he went back. That's in verse six and found those that were idle. 
It didn't say that he found those that looked like they were equipped to do the job. Oh, he found those that didn't have anything to do. He found those that were idle. See that word idle, watch this. That word idle, uh, an idle person has no aim. Therefore, he or she has lost sense of their purpose. I'm walking down somebody's street this morning. An idle person is somebody that's lost sense of their purpose. He didn't look for those that looked like they were equipped to do the job. He didn't look, he didn't look for those that were muscular, that were that were that high and a high IQ level. No, he looked for those that looked like they had lost a sense of their purpose. This proves that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those that answer the call. A lot of times we 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 hear what God has spoke over our lives and we instantly second guess, well, Lord, do you know who I am? We pull the Moses card. We pull the Moses card where God's like, Moses, I need you to do today. He's like, well, don't you know I stutter? And see, this is why I couldn't be God, because I've been like, did I stutter? I said I want you to. <laughs> but watch this. God with compassion said, okay, you can take your brother Aaron. You see how it's all connected? But an idle person is somebody that's lost sense of their purpose. And because of Jesus's compassion, watch this, Jesus is in the business of restoring purpose within those who have lost sight of it or yet have ever discovered it. The fact that the landowner went and looked for people that were idle, people that did not have a sense of purpose or lost their purpose or never discovered it, proves us that Jesus, proves us that Papa, proves us that the Holy Spirit is in the business of restoring purpose. He is in the business of restoring purpose. This is what he wants to do in your life. The moment that we intersect with him, he has he restored purpose back to us. He's given us a new name. The Bible says that he calls us by a new name. There's this one, there's this one uh, Christian worship song I love. It literally says that, you know, you gave me a new name. You know, uh, I, the, the, the full lyrics escape me. It's fake love by Elevation Youth, and I love it. I love it. It's definitely a Yuffie song. It's definitely a, a teeny bop song. But when I'm in my car, I'm just like, I don't care because it's truth. It's truth. But he has given us a new name. He calls you by a new name. A new name. A new name. Amen. Amen. Watch this. Because of compassion, Jesus is in the business of restoring purpose within those who have lost sight of it or yet to discover it. Rick Warren, uh, Rick Warren says it best this way. He says this about the bond between life and purpose. Without a purpose, watch this, life is motion without meaning. Without purpose, at, it, life is activity without direction and events without reason. Without a purpose, life is trivial, petty, and pointless. That's how powerful, that's the bond between purpose and life. I'm going to say that again. He said that without purpose, life is motion without meaning. It's activity without direction and events It's with, and without reason. It's without a purpose, life is trivial, petty, and pointless. Have you ever felt like your life was meaningless before? We all go through those seasons where it feels like life is meaningless. It feels like, man, why did I get up? Why, why are we singing these songs? Why are, we, why are we unlocking the doors? Why are we preaching? Why are we trying to show love to people? Why are we trying to do right by people? Why are we trying to take the high road when the low road, when, the, when, you know, when, the, when the high, there's no cars on the high road and it requires me to have to walk in, in integrity when nobody else is looking at me? Why do we have to, you know, I used to tell the youth this. I used to say, you know, yes, the, 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 the fleshly way, you know, there's more cars on it. Why? Because nobody likes to take the high road. 
the road, you know, the, the famous poem that we learn in school, you know, the road less traveled. The road less traveled is the high road, if we're being honest. The road less traveled is the high road because the road less traveled, the high road requires us to sacrifice our flesh. It requires us to mortify the deeds of our flesh. It requires us to put our hands in our pockets instead of putting our hands on people. It requires us to close our mouth instead of clapping back at people. It requires us to save our money instead of just blowing it on all that we want to do. The road, the high road requires us to bear the image of Christ, even when it's inconvenient to us. Even when it's inconvenient to us. And the bond between life and purpose is important. Because if you've ever have felt, uh, if you've ever in any point in your life felt like life was meaningless, have you ever felt like your life served no purpose or, or held no value or was uneventful or unfruitful or a solo mission only to be disappointed? Have you ever felt forgotten about or passed up or slept on or treated unjustly? These feelings were birthed in you through inheriting Adam and Eve's distorted identity. Well, guess what? There is good news, family. There is good news. Somebody say good news. Because of his compassion, Jesus is in the business of restoring purpose within those who have lost sight of it or have yet to discover it. Jesus is in the business of restoring passion. Amen? Amen. Jesus is in the business of restoring passion. I love this. So in verse 37... In verse 37, what we read earlier, uh, I think, yeah, it was Matthew 9. Um, when Jesus looked at the vast crowds and said, or actually he didn't say anything, just the Bible interpreted that. So I wonder how, if he never said it, and if he, if he never said, ha, ah, I have compassion for these people. How did Matthew know? How did Matthew know? You ever been around? You ever you ever been around somebody? They don't have to say anything. You just observe them enough to where you can sense what they're feeling. The same should be said about us and the Lord. Yes, we can't see Him. Yes, we can't put our physical hand and touch Him. But if we spend enough time with Him, we can sense His presence and we can feel His heart. Amen. See, when you're feeling, when you're feeling, uh, when you're feeling all the feelings, Jesus doesn't look at you the way that uh, he doesn't look at us the way we look at chores or paying bills. He sees you and in compassion, in full compassion and full transparency, he does the work of the one who sits closer than a brother. He does the one who sits closer than a brother. He is the one that sits closer than a brother. He is the one that sits closer to the brother. He is committed. Watch this. He is committed to being Jireh in your life. Earlier, that was that was the that was the plan in the set list to sing that. But as we're singing promises, I'm just like, man, I just I feel something. Like we just need to camp out here, and and maybe that was a testament to remind us that you know we need to remind ourselves of the promises that He has promised you in your life. We need to remind ourselves of the promises that he has promised you in your life. We had a, we had a, we had a scenario come up earlier th- last week to where we had to go back and look at the fine print of our loan for our vehicle because we couldn't remember the, the different clauses and the, the actual way that it was worded. So therefore, okay, well, who do we go to? Well, we need to open up the loan and look and see what does it say and remind ourselves of our rights and benefits. 
too many times as Christians, we don't remind ourselves of the benefits that we have. A lot of times we just focus on, oh, got to pray. Oh, got to fast. Oh, got to read. Got to get up. Got to put a smile on my face. People ask how I'm doing. I can't really tell them. I got to, you know, oh. We just, focus, we just focus on all the things that we can't do when really there's more that we can do than versus what we can't do. There's more that we can do. There's, there's more benefits than there are. There's more pros than there are cons. But Jesus is committed to being Jireh in your life. He is committed to being Jireh in your life. He's committed to being more than enough. He's committed to being always enough. He is committed to being forever enough. You know how long forever is? For, that's right. As I say on the sand lot, forever. That's how long forever is. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the one standing next to you in the fire. He is the one that that he is the one in the waters holding back the seas. He's the one that makes the darkness tremble. He is Jesus. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen. I love this because in Matthew nine thirty seven we we read it, but Jesus he turned to his disciples and said, "The harvest is huge and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in." How did Jesus know that the harvest was ripe? You know, I have a a, a, a brief test, a, just a quick testimony. Yesterday I was working, and I got to I'm on I'm almost uh, you know every route has sections. You know, even your house was is is in a certain section on the mail carrier's route. And my favorite section is section six because it's the last section. As soon as you get done, I mean, you get to go by the post office, clock out, and go home. So I'm like at the tail end of section five. Like I have, I'm on my last street in section five. So I'm looking forward to it because I'm about to get back on Highway 22A where I call civilization because there's only two roads in my route. I have cell phone service, Blue Goose Road, and Highway 22A. So when I get on Highway 22A, I make any calls I got made. I text anybody that got texts. I reply back, and one and it's only I'm only on there for less than three minutes. So like you know we you know it's it's very brief. So as I'm, I'm I can see 22A. I'm at this one house. Got to go around the curve. I can see it. So hope is rising within me. Hope is rising within me. So I get ready to open this box and I see this note in there. I'm like, oh, you know now I got to put it in park. Read the note because this you know this house has they 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 left a message for me. And instantly my mind goes to negative, like, you know, oh, I must have forgot something. Then I'm like, wait, I didn't work here this week. I've been in Jackson. Oh, so maybe it's Patty. So maybe Patty's in trouble. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. So then I look up, and as I reach in the, their mailbox, is higher than my car. That's the, that's the pros of having a low car. But <laughs> their box is higher than my car. And as I reach up to get it, my hand touches something round. I'm like, I pull my hand, like, what was that? <laughs> Um, and we can talk about it later, the, the cons of, you know, mailboxes out in the country. But um, I look up, and there is a tray of the biggest, brightest, juiciest tomatoes I had ever seen in my life. A tray of them. And this customer, she's a farmer. Her and her husband, they farm. And, uh, and I pull out the message, and it says, hey, Lindsay, love, we love you. And, you're, you know, I know you got some boys, so here's some, here's some fresh tomatoes. And, and listen, my husband's got a tent up at the edge of the road selling watermelon. Uh, we already took care of you. Go get, go get uh, watermelon for you, your wife, and your boys. Uh, and she, you know, love and put her name on it. I was like, so I, I tooted the horn, doo, doo. <laughs> Thank you. You know. Oh, you know. You know. Oh. <laughs> Me? Me, you know, I don't eat tomatoes, but I felt so loved. Oh, I got you, Grady, though. I saved you a couple. I saved you a couple. 
yeah. <laughs> Instantly, the two people I thought about was Kelsey and Grady. I'm like, oh, Kelsey and Grady go love these. <laughs> so I went up to get the watermelon, and uh, the guy was like, uh, yeah, yeah, go on, go and load it up. And uh, about that time, his wife come up, who left the note, and uh, I was putting one in. She said, Lindsay. I thought you said you had three boys. I said, I do. Well, get you another watermelon. I'm like, no, we don't need get you another. Yes, ma'am. And these and these these aren't little ones. You can ask mom and I should have took a picture. These are this size, this long. Yeah. And I'm like, and when I and uh when I came home, I brought in the food, uh, you know, I brought in our dinner and Kelsey like, where are you gonna say, I gotta go get the produce out of the car. So I had to make two extra trips or three trips total. And I'm bringing them in. She's like, good, good, come on. I say, yes. And uh, but the whole time, as I still got the rest of my route to finish with this produce in the back of the car, and I and at that point I'm just I'm driving I'm driving more carefully, why? Because I have precious cargo, I have the products of favor. But what's what's great about this is this was the favor of God. It was Psalms 5:12 in action. If you don't know this, I definitely I encourage you to look this up, put it on your mirror, put it as your screensaver. Psalms 5:12 the fav, uh, the right the favor surrounds the righteous as a shield. Favor surrounds the righteous as a shield. But I remember as I'm driving away from this, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all smiles. I'm like, Lord, thank you. You know, that my flesh could have been like, man, this is produce, like, man, it's just tomato, just watermelon. No, it's the favor of God. She didn't have to do that. But through eyes of compassion, she responded to the call on of God, and you know what? I'm going to bless him. I'm going to bless his family. See what compassion does. Compassion causes us to see past ourselves. And they, didn't, they don't have a whole lot of money. If you look at their house, it's just a, it's just a regular old house. Reg, normal vehicles. You know, there's some houses in Jackson I deliver to in the gated communities that I, when I get out there, I'm like, I do not belong. I mean, it's huge, nice. This, this, this farming couple, they were an older couple. They, they didn't have a whole lot of nice things, but out of compassion, they were able to move past what they didn't have and focus on what they had in order to give to somebody else. When we look through eyes of compassion, what, what levels of glory are going to unlock within us? When we look through eyes of compassion, how much more are we going to sound like Jesus, look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus? Amen? Amen. You wanna, you, we want to bear his image in the right way. We have to do it through eyes of compassion. But I love this because he turned to the disciples and said the harvest is huge and ripe. That's why I went down that rabbit trail, because the word ripe. The word ripe means brought by aging to full flavor or the best state. And those tomatoes, Miranda, those tomatoes look ripe. I'm like, I mean, they were red. I was like, whoa. <laughs> they were ripe. And I remember reading the scripture last night. I saw that word ripe, and I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The harvest is huge and ripe. Now, it was easy for Jesus to see that the harvest was huge because it was a big crowd. And I'm going to close with this. It was a big crowd. But how was how Jesus able to see that the harvest was ripe? How was Jesus able to determine that? Well, watch this. A farmer knows when, when his or her harvest is ready because he's the one who planted the seed. A harvest knows when the when the when the when the uh, when the tomatoes are ripe or when the cotton is ripe for the picking. Why? Because they're the ones that planted the seed. They're the ones that did all the work. Amen. Amen. So, for Jesus to know that the harvest is ripe, it's because He planted the seed. Because in Genesis, in the beginning, Jesus stepped into our darkness. 
In Exodus, he is the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Leviticus and Numbers, he is our high priest making intercession for his people in the Holy of Holies. In Deuteronomy, he is the bearer of everlasting arms. In Joshua, he is the captain of the army of the Lord. In Judges, he is the sword of the Lord. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. Somebody say redeemer. In both books of Samuel, he is the calling of young men into the priesthood and the throne room of Israel. In First and Second Kings, he is the whirlwind, the chariot of fire, and mantle of Elijah. In First and Second Chronicles, he is the Shekinah glory of God. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he's the one rebuilding and re-fortifying. I love y'all know I love that word, re-fortifying the walls around the around the city. In Esther, he is the figure of royalty making intercession for that people. Don't that phrase sound familiar? Making intercession. What does he do at the right hand of God? Inter- Come on. In Job, he is the patience and pride of God. In Psalms, he is the good shepherd that leads us down beside the still waters and restores our soul. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is the lily in the valley. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the bright and morning star. In Isaiah, he is the lamb wounded for for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he is the one who knew us before we were in our mother's womb and called us and gave us a Plan and purpose. Watch this. In Ezekiel, he is the wind coming from the four corners of the earth, reviving the dry bones. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fire. The fourth man in the fire. The fourth man in the fire. He is the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband forever who redeems a degenerate bride. In Joel, he is the latter rain. In Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Abekah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, he is the last redemptive voice, reminded the work, reminding us of the work that's been happening since the beginning and foundations of the cosmos. In Matthew, he is the baby, he is the lamb wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. In Mark, he is our healer. In Luke, he is the great physician. In Luke, he is the great physician. He is the Christ of Calvary. He is the resurrected Lord. In John, he is the word made flesh living among us. In Acts, he is the one that we live. We move. We have our being. Watch this. In, 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 in Romans, he is the only fulfillment of the law that frees us from all condemnation. In the letters uh, to the churches in Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, and Thessalonica, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. In Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he is the dedication of young men who have consecrated themselves to a lifetime of service of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews, he is the, he is the author and finisher of your faith. He is the initiator of a better covenant with better promises in James Peter and John he is your life your pattern your motivation and the power of perfect love he is perfect love in Jude he is the foundation of your faith in Revelation he is the soon and returning king how did Jesus know how did Jesus know the harvest was right because he'd been planting the seed from the foundations of the earth he looked at the vast crowd and said I planted that when you look in the mirror, you are the product of the plant of the seeds that he has planted. He planted you in this town. He planted you at that job. He planted you in this family. He planted you in this congregation. He planted you 
right here today in this moment in this very second and that's why the devil fights you every every minute every second of your life trying to get you to contradict on your worth on your identity on what you bring to the table but Jesus is saying the harvest is ripe the harvest is ripe you are at the best state of your life well, Lindsay, my finances aren't at the best state. He didn't look at them and say, man, you're at the best state because of the money that you have. No, he looked at them and said, you're at the best state. The harvest is right because I planted you. Since the foundations of the earth, I spoke you into existence. I called your name. I sung songs about you. And guess what? He told the disciples, the harvest is ripe. They're ready for, they're ready for this. What are they ready for? They're ready for me to, 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 to hang wide, to shed my blood for them, to redeem them, to restore them, to bring them back in the perichoresis fellowship so they can hold their head up, so they can believe that they're the beloved of God. He said the harvest is ripe. Why? Because he has been intuitively, he's been initiating everything. He's been planting the seeds from the very beginning. Thank you, Lord. See, a farmer knows when his fruit and, and vegetables are ready to be harvested. Why? Because he's done the work. Yeah. Yeah. He's done the work. Yeah. He's tilled the ground in your life. He's burnt all the fields. He's, he's burnt all the negative things that need to be burnt out. Well, we were like, Lord, let me, let me keep it. We thought he was punishing us when really he was just tilling the ground. He was saying, no, 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 there's things in you. In order for you to go to the next level, there's things that have to be burnt out. There's people that, have to, that may have to fall by the way. There's people that you may have to not speak to as much anymore, not give your heart to as much anymore. Why? Because there's glory that's waiting within you to go to another level. And see, you know, I don't know about you, but growing up as a kid, you know, when you play video games and you go to the next level, the next level looked different. You know, the, the, the settings were different. The challenges were different. And when you go to the next level, it was, it was the same again. The thing, everything was different. That's what he's trying. He's trying to take you to another level of glory. Not so you can walk around with your, with your chest out and your head puffed up. No, he's trying to take you to a whole nother level of glory. Why? Because there's things in your life that you should be seeing. You should be experiencing. You should be walking and you should be talking and you should be thinking. You should be meditating. And it only comes when we allow him to do what he does best. He said the harvest is ripe. Somebody say ripe. 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 If you've ever cooked the meal, you know, you know when it's time to take the pot off the stove. Why? Because you've done the work. You've cooked it before. You know when it's time to take the, 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 the meat or the, the dish out of the oven. Why? Because you've, you've kept, what? ooh, 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 because you kept an eye on it. And watch this. If you thought you was going to forget it, you set a timer for it. Why? Because in the back of your mind, you're still aware of it. Now watch this. The best thing about God, God's not like that because you're never in the back of his mind. You know, where you are, you're the apple of his eye. You are the apple of his eye. Remind yourself of that when you don't have the money to pay for something. And you're like, God, how's this gonna, how's this gonna work? Or I'm the apple of your eye? Okay. All right, I'm trusting that. I'm arresting that. Lord, I thank you right now for providing, making the difference of where I lack. 
Remind yourself of that when people leave you. Remind yourself of that when people come, when people go. Remind yourself of that when people are asking you to change who you, at the core of who you truly are. Remind yourself of that when you don't want know which way to go like we sang the song. Lord, I'll still bless you. I'll still, I'll still remain, I'll still remain humble enough to say, I'll still bless you, Lord. I'll still serve you. I'll still believe that you, your promises are good and faithful and yes and amen. I'll still trust you. Even when people come, when people go, I will trust you. The harvest is right. Now we'll continue this next week, but today I just wanted to set a groundwork of you are the harvest. And the cool thing about the kingdom of God, you are the harvest that is being sent out to collect more harvest. To collect more harvest. To collect more harvest. Jesus also said that there, there weren't enough harvesters to gather the seeds. That, that doesn't need to be our testimony. That doesn't need to be, oh man, God wanted to do so much with, with, that, with that group of people, but there wasn't enough people that were willing to say yes. No, we don't want that to be our testimony. I heard, a, I heard a minister that I look up to, I heard him say, I was, I was God's eighth choice or something like that. I was like, huh? And he said, most, you know, I don't know if you remember growing up in school, you know, when, when it come time to pit teams and, you know, you're, you know, you want to be first or second. No, nobody liked being picked last. And he said, you know, I, you know, in the flesh, I would be upset like, oh, God, I wasn't your first choice. But he said, I determined in, I determined in my heart that I may have been your eighth choice, but you weren't, you weren't going to have to search after me anymore. Because what the Lord told him said, I had asked this person, asked this person, asked this person. And each person pretty much said no. And each person chose to do their own thing in life. And when it came down to him and the Lord said, hey, I need you to do this, this, this. He determined that I may have been the eighth person, but I'm going to be the last person. Because I'm going to say yes, and you're not going to have to look any further. Church, let us be the group of people that have said, okay, Lord, what do you want to do in Henderson County? What do you want to do at Walmart? What do you want to do at Food Job? What do you want to do at the nursing home? What do you want to do at the hospital? What do you want to do at the high school and all the county schools and city schools? Lord, what do you want to do on West Church Street? What do you want to do on Highway 22? Lord, what do you want to do? Because we will, you, you're not going to have to look any further because we say yes. We say yes. We say yes. Not so people can look at us and say, oh, look at them. No, but so people can know and experience the love of God. So people can be free from, from depression. So people can be free from anxiety. So people can be free from high blood pressure. So people can be free from sickness and disease. So people can be free from all the rumors that have been said about them. So people can be free and delivered. Jesus came to set the captives free. Who you, uh, I, I, I want to be the one that he uses to do that. Let's make the decision to be on the right side of the kingdom. Jesus said that this is the way the kingdom of heaven operates, through compassion, through compassion, looking at the harvest through compassion. This is going to require you and I to be a participator and not a spectator. We said it last week. We said a spectator is the one that can read the word. The spectator is the one that can come to church and then forget everything else and never practice it. But a participator is someone that can spend time in the presence of the Lord and then take and t just take a just take a portion of that onto their job. Take a portion of that into their car. Take a portion of it into the grocery store. 
in the most unideal situations. When chaos is rising up, when the, when, the, when the enemy rises in like a flood, participators are able to take what, the, what they've pulled out of the prisons of God and allow that standard to be raised to block every attack of the enemy. Does this mean we have to be perfect? No, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It means we have to be submissive and willing to say, okay, Lord, I had a plan, but what's your plan? You know, for this morning service, it felt like, uh, you know, y'all, y'all probably didn't see it, but we had technical issues with this and that and all these different computer wasn't working right, screens weren't right, phones weren't right, lights. And I'm just like, Lord, come on, Lord, like, what is this? And finally, I'm like, okay, Lord, I had a plan, but what's your plan? Lord, let me lean into your plan. And we'd end up not doing the last song and just, just resting in that experience in his presence. And maybe that's what God wants to do in your life. Not that God loves finding pleasure in just interrupting your day. But God's find, God finds pleasure when we lean into him. And sometimes that leaning into him is going to look like an interruption of your plans. It will look like that. But I promise you, it, it, it's, it's not going to harm you. It's not going to hurt you. I remember the other day we cooked, we, we cooked dinner and Kellen's like, do I gotta eat? I said, buddy, it's, it's, this is not gonna hurt you. This is gonna help you. This is gonna help you grow strong, be fast, da, da, da. Sometimes we look at what God presents in front of us and we're, Lord, do I have to? And the Holy Spirit's like, this is not gonna hurt you. This is gonna help you go from glory to glory to glory. This is gonna help you remain in your ripeness. Amen. Amen. Whew.